Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 1045 a.m. and 5 p.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. someone's living room, our, our living room this evening, and uh, Uncle John is coming. <laughs> okay. Uh, in my family, my dad was actually the Uncle John. Might not be the best uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. illustration. <laughs> but uh, imagine Uncle John is coming, and I would like him to be able to share, uh, and, and, and hopefully it's in a real practical sense, because as uh, we've had the opportunity to have quite a few of you be here this weekend, there have been different themes that have come up. And some of those themes go um, right along with the ministry that we have of the Word of God that we minister. And so, John, I want to uh, read a couple of little quotes by this guy that wrote our curriculum for Equip the Council. And it says here, we are physically embodied creatures. When Adam sinned, all mankind fell with him into enmity with God, one another, and the creation. And we also know that we are socially embedded creatures. We are born into families, communities of fallen and depraved human beings. Sometimes we experience the effects directly, or perhaps we experience the effects indirectly. And we also know and this is a big uh, part of what the world, our secular society, doesn't acknowledge. But we also know that we are spiritually embattled creatures. Our struggle is not just a flesh and blood physical struggle, but it is against spiritual powers and forces, the wicked. And I was hoping that you might be able to kind of comment on those three truths and as it relates to them, uh, the human suffering condition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's one of the things that most, yeah, compels me, encourages me about the scripture itself, about just God speaking to us, as I've never found a book that just nails who we are. Uh, and just, because I think every person deep down has the question, okay, who am I? Why do I do the things that I do? How do I change? What, what makes me up? And, and I think all around us, the culture just picks and chooses the parts of human nature, the parts of who we are that they're going to major on, that they think is important. But, it's, but the Word of God just sees all of us at one time. And so especially as Christians to realize, okay, we're not just souls. We're not just spirits floating around. But that God is going to form Adam's body first. And then breathe life into him. Give him a spirit that's going to enliven that body. And it's not long after that God's going to okay, give him a wife. And now there's immediately a social piece. And then it's not long after that, the devil's on the scene. And, I mean, you're three chapters in. And you're seeing 
you know, just a biblical anthropology developing, where here's Adam who is soul, but also body and also relational and social and, and then the spiritual battle that's there, but then there's always a sovereign God who's over it all and in it all. And, and so you'll have, yeah, I think the, the medical community, of course, that's gonna focus on the body. And it's one of the ages that we're in right now of what David Pelson called the medicalization of life. It's one of the tragic things that it's going on right now that it just, even grief now is medicalized. And, um, but then there's the social part where you're gonna have you know, sociologists and all kinds of others that see, okay, it's the, it's the social piece. That's why you are the way you are. This is what causes who you are. Then you have others that, yeah, that think it's the spiritual, it's the spiritual battle, that it's, it's the demon of anxiety. It's the demon of depression. It's the demon of addiction. And yet, what the Word of God gives us is this way to see us, ourselves, the way to see human nature that, that values all of it at once, but yet puts the weight on the inner person in relation to God. And that the gospel promises to change all of it. But where it starts is in the heart, where when God opens the heart, when the Spirit enters and unites us to Christ and gives us eyes to see and faith, well, we become a new creature. And if any of you didn't you know, notice when you got saved, your body didn't change. You know? And since that day, your body's probably gotten worse in some ways. Um, and in some ways, in some ways, our body does begin to get better because we begin to make different decisions about how we treat our body. That, um, and so the inner person begins to get renewed. And now we begin to see, okay, the Bible says things like, oh, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. That changes how we interact with the body. It also changes how we see suffering that we endure in the body. It begins to change the way we relate to other people and the society around us. But for many of us, you get saved and your social circumstances get worse, not better. You lose relationships as well as gain them. There's more friction, not less. And then, of course, now Satan just has a bullseye on you. Like as a child, you're no longer his child, you're God's child. And now there's a whole new kind of war you're in there. And so I think, yeah, the scripture is always trying to help us see just the total person and our full humanity um, and, and how suffering can come to us at every level. You know, we can suffer just in the soul, just as fallen creatures, sinful creatures, weak creatures, afflicted creatures. But then we also can suffer in the body. There's no escaping that. We can suffer in relationships, and not just in relationship to immediate family members, but to societies and cultures and governments and communities. And, but then we can, yeah, suffer in that spiritual war you just described. We don't wage war against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities and forces of darkness in heavenly places. But just the comfort that God gives us always and all of it is, I've got you, you know. I use all of this for your good. And so, yeah, it's, it's not so much the Bible denies those things are real. It just helps us harmonize and put together how do we think about it in a truthful way? What do we prioritize? You know. And as I hear that description, I see that in the Word. I see examples of that in the Scriptures of godly people, sinful people, broken people, saved people, and chosen people, and yet they're suffering in those areas. Yeah. And as Laura and I minister... We then have families that come to us, and let's say there's a family and they have a wayward child or um, a husband that is disobedient and it's affecting the family or um, a close friend or relative that now is choosing their path, and in that, we as the ones that love them are suffering. Yeah. 
So that's one way sometimes I see that people are coming to us for answers. And then there's others that now are experiencing, even after salvation, suffering because of choices they made in the past. And now they've placed their faith in Christ. They are now new creatures. But still, some of those issues, some of those patterns are still affecting them in some way. And they're saying, Lord, please take this from me. And, and they're coming to us. Um, how would be uh, a way in keeping with the Word of God to offer them guidance? Yeah, I think, I think we can start with just showing that that story is all over the Bible. I mean, you think of, so Adam and Eve are going to eat the fruit. Sin's going to enter the world. Their eyes are opened. And the shame, the guilt, the conflict, the things that now happen after that with the Lord. But then they're going to give birth to two boys. And one is going to murder the other. And you talk about a wayward son who's going to kill your other son. And so in one way, there's just the grief and the sorrow and the tragedy of, okay, this act that's happened, the loss of not just one boy, but then the other that's going to be banished. Um, and you know lost forever is the way that's going to end. But then in the back of their mind, they have to be thinking, we started this. Like, this wouldn't have been so if we had obeyed God. Um, and so, yeah, you're, you're left with, what do you do with all that? And at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think the Bible tries to lessen the weight of that. Rather, it just comes in with a greater weight of just grace, that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That the mess you made, I will redeem and clean up. And so no, we're never left with God saying, oh, don't worry, it wasn't that bad. It's, it's more, no, do not fear I'm with you, I'm for you, my grace is sufficient for you. And I will use this little story that you're in to, to magnify my grace in that way. I, I love how Paul thought about both his past and present. You know, he says to, to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, this is a trustworthy statement. He says, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. Not I was, I am. Paul's the worst guy Paul knows. And I think that's meant to be the attitude we all have. Like, there's no one's sin we're more acquainted with than our own sin. And so we can all say, yeah, I'm the worst sinner I know. Like, I know what I think. I know what I feel. I, I know what's happening in all the areas that other people don't see. And, and, but then Paul didn't just sit there and collapse and go, yeah, woe is me. This is awful. I'm awful. God's great. And then but he says, yet for this reason I found mercy. He says, so that in me as the foremost, meaning the foremost sinner, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. In other words, Paul is looking at going, okay, why did God come and save the worst sinner? Well, so that he can make an example to the whole world of just how patient he is. What a way to share your testimony. Just where people are looking at, okay, here's Saul of Tarsus. It's now the Apostle Paul, and they're going, what? Saul of Tarsus? God forgave him God redeemed him and they're just meant to go that is one gracious patient God and it just gives glory to it and then Paul doesn't even stop there the very next thing he says is now to the king eternal immortal invisible the only God be all glory and honor forevermore so you're 17 verses into the first chapter and he's already busting into it like a doxology when he reflects on 
here's who I am, who, here's what I was in Christ, but here's why he saved me, so that he could show the whole world how great he is, how patient he is. And then Paul didn't feel bad about that. He worships in response to that. And so I think in some way that's what, what can be replayed in our own lives when we reflect and see our own regrets, our own sins, our, the, those pieces that is what we're meant to do is also behind that see the extreme patience of God toward us and the extreme grace of God in forgiving us that's meant to then compel us to worship, not despair. Um, and so he's not interested in lessening the weight or the ugliness of sin in our past, but rather magnifying Christ and all of his patience and glory in saving us and redeeming us. So we can look back at our past now and not just live in regret, which one way I tend to think of regret is, is retrospective self-righteousness, um, where I'm looking back on my past at all my mistakes, and I regret because I want to be able to look back and see what? You know, I was a pretty good guy. Well, why do I want, why do I want to do that? Um, because so I'm looking for some righteousness of my own, and I can't find it. And of course, the Lord isn't interested in helping me find it. He wants me to look back and see all those things and all that sin and all that mess and go, wow, how patient is God? You know, how gracious is he? Um, and so he's always moving us forward, not just sticking us in the past. But. It's difficult to watch ones that we love suffer, whether it's um, physical pain because they are older and they're growing older and we know that their time is coming to a conclusion. Or tragically, we sometimes look at these examples of children, young people that, you know, experience maybe a cancer or, and they're suffering and I'm trying to reason through what is it that God intends for this when it seems like, um, you might even use the term innocent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the purest pictures of that we get in Scripture is just the story of Job, who really was, you know, the Scripture's clear that in all that suffering he didn't sin against God, but he was utterly confused and perplexed and questioned, what is God doing? Um, he's going to lose 10 kids in a day. He's going to lose everything he owns. It's going to be stolen and taken away. And, and just in his own health, his body's going to be struck. So you talk about all those different areas, mm-hmm. and it's Satan doing it. So soul, body, social, um, spiritual battle, and then God behind it all. But he doesn't see any of what's going on or, or why. Why is this happening? And you have his wife's counsel, which is just curse God and die, which isn't, you know, just... I mean, she's lost all these kids, too. <laughs> you know, she's lost all that as well. But she doesn't know what to do with it. But then you have Job's friends come along, uh, and they don't know what to do with it. Because they don't know how to make sense of, it. this must be an unrighteous man. This must be, God is punishing him. And so you can even see there the prosperity gospel is alive and well very early <laughs> in, in the history of the human race. Where, And... And what's interesting is God never in the story tells anybody why he's doing it. Even at the end when he shows up to speak and reveal himself to Job, we just get chapter after chapter of his own power and his own glory. And he's like, Job, where were you when I did this and this and this? Where were you when I did this? And it just, and God shows up and reveals himself. And for Job, you see that, and it's enough. 
but then, then, God, then the book just ends. And God never says, hey, Joe, by the way, here's what was happening. Here's why I was doing all this. You're just, we're just left with, here's the character of God. Here's the splendor and the power and the goodness of God. And he does care for me. And he does see, and he is going to use all this. But in the moment, I mean, so few of us see it in the moment, how this is actually going to come about it. I mean, I've, the illustration I've heard before, I mean, if you've ever seen a tapestry being made, you go somewhere and see the tapestry that's being made, usually it, does, it makes no sense. It just looks like threads that are all just hanging loose everywhere because you don't see what's being made of it until the person done with the tapestry flips it around. And then you see the other side. I think that's what it looks like from Earth. You know, we look at heaven and it's just frays and threads and, but we'll get there. And then you'll see the tapestry. You'll see what God had been weaving together through all this. And that's why it'll take eternity to stop praising him. Um, because it'll really make sense. But often from underneath, it just looks like thread. Um, and we have this thing in, in us as humans, uh, and especially as a culture, we want the story, we want the end, and we want it to be everything just turned out well. And Job gets his kids back. Sound, seems like it ends well. But really, he still has now the remembrance of the suffering that he experienced there. And the answer isn't just that he gets his kids back, he yeah. gets his wealth back. Uh, yeah, no, and... Yeah, and, and, and even at the end, I, I don't even think we're meant to see that and go, okay, so if you just endure long enough, God will, you can cash it in. Um, so not on this side. I, I even think then what we're, even some of what we're meant to see is there is a prize awaiting. And we see it in that earthly story with Job, but, but the rest of Scripture finishes that out for us and shows us that, okay, it's, it's heavenly glory. There is an inheritance awaiting for us. There are riches beyond measure, beyond number. As Paul said, I don't consider the sufferings of this life worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. And so in one way, no, you, you persevere, you trust God, you walk on. There is riches waiting for you. It just may not be 10 kids to replace the 10 kids you lost or a new house to replace the one that you lost. Um, but the good news is it's something much, much better than even that. Um, yeah. I think that uh, one of the things that in my uh, ministry here, and then an experience of just being someone that's in the congregation and learning life's lessons and being right there where you guys are at and here and teaching and preaching is many of you know that we worked through First Peter for quite a few years. Mm. And, and there's a whole lot in First Peter about suffering. And um, therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Wow, I don't, it's hard for me to rejoice in suffering. And really, is it the will of God? That I suffer, and I think that um, it's okay to ask those questions. But if we leave those questions open ended, and then don't go to how 
the Lord wants to shape our heart and our mind, then there's still something there that hasn't, God hasn't shaped in the suffering. Because what you're saying is, in the suffering and in that tapestry illustration, he's intending something for you that's so much bigger and richer. But so often what I do is, I don't, I don't want to learn it. Mm-hmm. Or I want it over. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking out loud here right now because suffering is... Yeah, because you know, he's writing to all these Christians in, across Asia Minor <clears throat> who had received the good news, they'd received the gospel, they believed, they were saved, and then everything got worse. They lost their jobs. They lost livelihood. They begin to experience persecution, often from their own spouses. That's why he's going to write what he's writing in First Peter 3 about husbands and wives, because now you have all these wives that have been born again, and they have husbands who do not obey the word, and they don't believe the gospel. How are you to relate to him now? And husbands who have wives now who aren't Christians but are angry that they're Christians. And in all these different communities, in Jewish communities, if they're being cast out of synagogues, and and so they receive the gospel message, they believe, and then everything gets worse. And so they're writing to Peter at first saying, okay, we must have gotten the wrong message. Because we thought, we heard good news, and none of this seems good. <clears throat> so here's Peter writing a response to say, no, no, you got the right thing. You got the good news. You got the gospel. You believed it. And this is the road of following Jesus. And then he's going to explain, you know, even though... Now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, verse 7 of chapter 1, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just that, that image of, of refining gold, that, that's how God sees our faith, that this is the gold he's after. And I don't think any of us have wives who are going to complain if we give them 50 karat gold, you know, which if you ever handled like the purer gold gets, the more malleable it gets. It almost becomes like putty eventually. But just the process of making gold is not light. It's violent. And you think if you take, if you've ever seen gold come out of the earth, it's just this big rock. Like, what is that? And the first thing that has to happen is you got to smash it to pieces and then you gotta heat it up and you gotta, because all these different temperatures, the gold and the impurities separate. Now you can get rid of the, the, the impurities and get the gold and he's saying that's what God's doing with you is he's, he's refining in you pure gold faith. And so you can trust him in that process and it's worth it. Sometimes it's easy to give um, an answer to people. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there talking to someone that's working through suffering, and I could say, well, Jesus suffered, so he's suffering, and then now you are called to suffer. That's hard in an emergency room. Yeah. Yeah. How would I give me an idea of how I could help shape my answer, my response when I'm working with someone, ministering to a family member and they're suffering. And it's not just using scripture like an encyclopedia, yeah. like uh, like we were hearing this weekend. You know, oh, here's a verse now. Read this verse and now go home and you should be fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah so not that. Um, <laughs> we can start there. Um, I think sometimes it starts just with loving, patient silence even. 
I think Job's friends get a bad rap often. But when we even read the story, like they come, they see Job from a distance. They don't even recognize him. He looks so bad. And they tear their clothes and they weep out loud and they just collapse there next to him. And they sit there in silence for seven days. Seven days in silence. Now, when they start talking, it goes wrong. <laughs> but just to even, we could just learn that from them. Have we ever sat in silence with someone for seven days who's suffering deeply? So I think sometimes there's just the love of presence the, and a love of silence that, that do, is sort of the extension of Christ in the room for them. The body of Christ sitting silently, grieving with them, weeping with them, praying for them. Even then when we're speaking, we're speaking first to God. And that's why even in those moments, I think our first words need to be to the Lord, not to the person. Um, for the Lord to have mercy, for the Lord to give wisdom. Um, and then the next step is to, to hear them. What do they want to say? What's on their heart? Where are they perplexed, confused, burdened, overwhelmed? And it's in that time of just drawing out and hearing, you're going to get a real sense of where are they? What, what is this brother or sister ready for? And it may be, it's, you know, you don't want to go to teaching. It just maybe a psalm comes to mind and you just say, let's just read the psalm. And whatever comes to your mind that you want to say to God, say it. Whatever comes to your heart that you want to say to me, say it. And, and, and so it's just that slow process of then getting shoulder to shoulder with them and walking through it and then finding those intersection points where the Word of God can get in and, and minister to them without that having to be a, a teaching moment mm -hmm. too quickly. Mm -hmm. um, or certainly not, as you said, just a here, take this and you'll be better mm -hmm. moment. just in reading it out loud, it begins to minister to them and maybe we have very little commentary is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, because there's, I mean, it's the most inadequate I ever feel in life is when I'm sitting with someone whose pain I can't take away, can't fix, can't make them feel better, and you're just left humbled with them, utterly dependent on God to take the first move. Um, and so you had to listen to people in those places and to hear them talk and, and no matter what it may be is real love and I just think of over the history of the world how much garbage has God listened to from us like I think <laughs> you think about how many prayers he's heard over the history of the world and from his own children and yet he keeps listening just again his patience his love, his care he just says come and talk and praise God for the spirit who intercedes, right? Like, I'm so thankful for that. Like, I'll talk and the spirit will be like, no, no, Lord, Father, here's what John meant by that. He didn't mean that. He meant this. And just, and then Christ intercedes and says, all right, Father, no, here, that's on me, not on him. And, and so that's our comfort just to come and cry out as children because the Father always hears, the spirit always intercedes, the blood of Christ is always atoning. And, 
And so in some ways we're wanting to, to just reflect some of that in our ministry of the church. And I think even to realize that it's not just, okay, Christ suffered for a little while, now he's just not suffering and here we are suffering. We are the body of Christ. He is the head. And when the body suffers, the head suffers. We are filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. It's his spirit that is in us. So when the spirit groans, Christ feels it. So even now when you're afflicted, don't think for a minute Christ doesn't feel it. Um, you are united to him. You are one with him. And so there is a way in which even as his body on earth suffers now, he suffers with them. Um, and so it isn't, okay, Jesus can remember what it was like. Yeah, sure, but he feels what it's like. He knows what you're going through. Um, you're one with him through the Spirit of God. And so even to remember that, that it's that personal to him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And he says, Paul describes it, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. And I've got written in my Bible, and most of the Bibles that I have, I go to this section and I just write, no exit is the idea. There's no escaping it. There's no exit. Mm -hmm. But there is Christ. I hope that you've been encouraged and um, as we uh, are coming to a conclusion, what would you, what would be the final deposit that you might make with us as we agree? Yeah, I think you, as you were sharing some of that, and even as we were talking this afternoon about just, yes, suffering in the body, suffering in this world, suffering in that spiritual battle, even keep thinking of Romans 8. And so if there's a place for everybody to go home and just read and reflect, it's even Romans 8, that just walks through the reality of this world that we live in. The verse yeah, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And what that means is you know, be honest about suffering, but then think deeply about the glory that is to be revealed in you. Think often about what is being stored up for you. Think often about just the security of your soul in the hands of God. And then and then just the rest of that chapter is going to just unpack the reality of this groaning cosmos that we live in, this groaning body that we indwell. But then just the hope that, you know, that is, that is not a seen hope, verse 24. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? For if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so I think just, yeah, to remember that, that God has much to say to us when we're afflicted, and it really is worth it. There really is something that is waiting for us that is worth it, and most importantly, and he's with it, us through it all. I mean, if there's a message that comes through in Romans 8, it's he's for us. 
He's with us. He's not going to leave us. He's going to see it all through. Uh, and now we wait for him with, with patience. And then, yeah, we just go out sharing the gospel to gather up as many as the Lord allows to wait for it with us in patience. Just knowing what a day that will be. We will look back and say, this was all worth it. Right now, you may be suffering, and you know someone that's suffering. I pray that you know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he didn't stay dead. He was put in the tomb, and he resurrected on the third day. And because he demonstrated that power over death, then now he can give eternal life. And some of you have that eternal life, and others you still are working through if you really can grab a hold of that gospel. But for all of us, we suffer at different times and points. And so um, I want us to pray together. I want us to thank the Lord for what he is doing through Jesus in us. I want to thank him for uh, Ruth and John this weekend and Jeremy. And then I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you and your suffering or those around you that are suffering that maybe you don't have answers for, but you can sit with them, you could listen to them, and you could live out Christ physically, and then you could share the word of Christ. And so let's join in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a loving God. And uh, we thank you for thankful that you are merciful. And when uh, we were in a place that we were helpless, just stumbling around in our sin, you sent your son. You sent your son to be sin for us, death for us, and because he was able to not just physically die, but also spiritually and physically come to life that he can give new life. I thank you for John and Ruth and Jeremy this weekend and for the many servants and many people that participated in the conference. But I pray right now for each one of us that does encounter suffering in life. Right now we may be working through issues and it may be related to the fact that there are relationships around us of, of ones that we love and care for and there's some uh, hardship or strife between us, or perhaps they're not pursuing you and, and they're damaging themselves, and it's difficult to see that, or there's physical pain because of all of the physical maladies that come with the human condition of being fallen. Or perhaps it's still working through some of the uh, consequences of the past, and although we are new creatures, we're still working through um, this groaning, which is uh, sometimes we are still in a place where we're realizing um, we're looking back and we're, we're seeing that there was destruction, but help us to look forward and to see what newness Christ brings and also that we have an eternal hope that is beyond the years that we live here on earth, that there is something is promised and eternal, the hope of glory. Thank you for this evening. 
thank you uh, for John he and Ruth to travel safely and thank you that we can be part of the body of Christ and be in any state any country and pray for one another and that we know that there are believers out in this world that are praying for us and that we can pray for them and we also know that there are believers that are suffering and unique in different ways in countries and circumstances even politically that they are working through suffering in tragic ways but that they have the same hope we find in Christ and help us to be ones that share good news we pray this in